On today's episode of the Gaucho 9 Podcast, we sit down with a media mogul who's been in the sports talk industry for the last 25 years, Travis Rogers. He's a former Gaucho pitcher. He has been recently with ESPN LA 710. You can find him on Mornings with Keyshawn, LZ, and Travis. That is a great variety show in the morning with former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson. And then uh, he was also a producer on the Jim Rohn Show for 15 years. He worked in Yahoo Sports Radio, and he does pregame, postgame, midgame, all kinds of uh, interaction with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Rams. So uh, Travis, he's also a huge Gaucho fan. He always talks about the Gauchos on his radio show, on his podcast. He's always at Alumni Weekend. He's checking out the shows on TV. He's listening to me on the radio. He's coming to games. He's just a, a gaucho through and through. So uh, today's episode of the Gaucho 9 podcast is brought to you by Kyle's Kitchen. Check out their website, kyleskitchen.com, to go to the Give Back uh, page. Kyle has donated nearly $200,000 to charitable organizations, and uh, they also have some great deals out there for some great food. So check out Kyle's Kitchen, uh, great sponsor for Gaucho Baseball and the sponsor of this podcast. So they're doing well at Kyle's Kitchen. Go check them out. Get some good eats. All right, this week we got Travis Rogers. Let's do it. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America. The Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. There's the one strike pitching. Mitchell belts the deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He strikes out the side for the second consecutive inning. And Armani belts it to deep center. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Two pitch and a curveball is swung on him. And the score is due. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 champions of the Big West. Today's guest on the Gaucho 9 podcast, he is a, a media member and was a Gaucho pitcher back in 1990, 1990 to 1993 under Coach Ferrer. In his career, he pitched in 52 games. He made 23 starts. He had a 9-8 and eight record, 176 career innings, and uh, only 92 Ks. Wasn't a strikeout guy, but he's the uh, a current radio personality on 710 ESPN in L.A. He does Rams pregame, halftime, and postgame show, and he's on the mornings with Keyshawn, LZ, and Travis show. Please welcome to the Gaucho 9 podcast, Travis Rogers. Travis, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. This is uh, this is exciting. I've been wait I've been waiting for this. I was when when I saw that you launched this podcast a while ago. I was checking my phone regularly, waiting for the invitation. So I'm very very happy to finally be here. It's a it's a thrill, and I'm glad that you got the nine and eight portion in that. That's the that's the only part you should have stopped after that. But I'm very happy <laughs> that uh, I have my, a winning record in my Gaucho career. That's good news. Well, yeah, winning record, and I think another thing that you could say is uh, you pitch for all four years. I mean, you, you didn't redshirt, you, you didn't leave early or, or, or flail out. Um, you, you didn't make it big time on, in, in the show, but you pitched four years in a Gaucho uniform. That's something to be said. Yeah, it's something that I'm actually very proud of. Um, I didn't pitch much my freshman year. I forget the numbers exactly, but I, I bet you I pitched less than 25 innings maybe. It was really low, and I think that probably – uh, if it was, let's say it was 20, maybe half of them came in one game. We played a game down in, I don't even think the university exists anymore. It's a place called U.S. International University down in San Diego, uh, USIU, or as we called them, uh, USI Who. 
And we went down there and we, it was, we, we played them like four times my freshman year. And I got a start and I ended up pitching either eight or nine innings in that game. And so almost all of my action as a freshman came in that one game. But yeah, you know, I, it, was, it was great to be there. And I got to pitch a lot, like you said, about half of the, the numbers you read off. I think about half of my appearances were starts and came out of the bullpen a handful of times here and there. It was, I, I still think about it very, very fondly. Well, yeah, and you're a regular guest at, at Alumni Weekend as well. And sure. We, we, we see you at Caesar a lot. Uh, you've had Coach Tackett's on your radio show frequently. There's been a lot of success in the program recently, so uh, we appreciate your contributions uh, to the program of late. I, I can't get enough of it. I, I really am. It, it's And I, I sounded a little bit like a fanboy here, but I, I am a huge fan of Coach Checkett's, um, what he's been able to do with that program. It's made – I've always been proud to be a Gaucho, and I was proud of my time there. And, you know, I, the way I always – people will ask me, he goes, were you guys good when you went there? And I said, you know, it was kind of a pretty typical pattern that we had when I was a, a player there. We, we, if you stayed for four years, you were going to be good at least once. You were going to be okay probably twice – and you're going to be bad one year. And that's exactly how my, career, my, my four years were there. We were really good in my freshman year. We were, we were okay my sophomore and junior year. And then my senior year, we weren't very good. And that probably has something to do with me as a senior on that program. But, you know, now that it is, and I've always enjoyed alumni weekend. I like seeing the guys. I still have really good friends. Um, I try to keep as close a thumb on the program as I can. Um, it's just fun to watch, man. It, it, and when they went to the World Series a few years ago, I'm, I'm sure we can talk about that at one point. That was one of the highlights of my college baseball career, and all I did was go and watch. Um, it, it's, it's really fun to be a part of a program that's having so much success right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into College World Series and being a fan because uh, we talked to Spilly about that. Spilly had a lot of interesting things to say about being a fan because uh, it's it's cool perspective. And, like, I've been a fan of uh, – I've been a fan of yours. I've been a fan of you of, of my hometown team. So, you know, I, I approach that differently than than the Gauchos or this podcast, but I'm still a Gaucho fan. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the shirts everywhere. Uh, you know, I was a student. I was an alum. So it's it's been fun to work at my at my alma mater. Uh, before we get into it, this podcast is going to sound cool because I have a good microphone and you have a good <laughs> microphone. And it sounds like we're probably sitting in a studio. We're breaking quarantine. We're, we got the, the real thing going, but no, you're, you're in LA and, and I'm at, in, in Santa Barbara, but we got our home setups here. Yeah. The, I guess one, one of the benefits of being in radio for 25 years is you're going to gather a piece of equipment here and there. And I, uh, somewhere in the long lines picked up a, a microphone and a headset. So it's good. It's always, uh, it, it makes it better. Cause I listen obviously to your podcast and to a, a bunch of others as well. It's always nice when you don't have that uh, phone sound going on in the background. Exactly. Okay. Let, so you were a pitcher at UCSB, and so how did you get your start as a pitcher? In, in, in high school ball, did you pitch? Did you go both ways? What kind of stuff did you do in high school? My, uh, my route to the mound was, I think, probably a fairly typical one for most guys, isn't that I couldn't hit. You know what I mean? That I loved playing baseball. I had a pretty good arm. I, I, uh, I was a good baseball, like a, generally speaking, a good baseball player, Till about 13 or 14 years old. I, I, could, I could hit. I could play the infield. I could do things like that. Like, I knew how to, how to play. But as the pitching got better, my bat got worse and worse and worse. But I was still having a great deal of success um, on the mound. So I was able to continue to play and then go into high school. But I, I, I would hit occasionally in high school, very, very rarely. Um, and then I, I was a pitcher only by the time I was a junior in high school. Um, and you know, I, I was good at it and it was good enough to go play in college and, and those sorts of things. Um, 
I, I, I miss playing baseball. Like I have a 14-year-old son right now who's still playing, and he's going to be a freshman um, in high school this upcoming fall. Uh, hopefully that they have, by the time we get to the, the spring, baseball is being played again, and, and he gets to get on the field. But just going out and shagging and fielding ground balls with him and doing that kind of stuff, I, just playing baseball is something that I really miss. Like pitching, not so much, because that hurts. That is a very painful enterprise, but playing baseball, I, I miss it a great deal. And I really haven't played baseball like that since I was about 13 or 14. I was a pitcher exclusively after that. Okay. So you, so you wind up at UCSB. How did, uh, how did coach Ferrer find you or how did you find UCSB? Um, I remember we, they, I think they still have it. They had a, a series called the uh, area code games. Oh yeah. And, and so I played in those. And it was a tournament up in Stockton at a place, or Lodi, actually, right outside of Stockton, Stockton where uh, UOP used to play at this field. Um, and I went up there, and I pitched, and I pitched pretty well. And I remember we were kind of doing our post-game meeting down the line. Again, you're, you're playing for you, – you don't know any of these guys. They're teammates of yours. They kind of get thrown together at the last minute. You don't really know the coaching staff. So afterwards, you're down the line. because you know, Okay, this guy's going to pitch tomorrow, and we'll see you here and meet, meet at the ballpark at this time. And I remember walking off the field and somebody handed me like a, a bag. I think it was a bag. And inside was some information on UCSP. There was like a media guide. There was some information about the school itself, you know, enrollment, location and all that. And I knew UCSB. I mean, I grew up in Southern California, so it wasn't like it was a, something that I wasn't familiar with, but that I, I remember getting that. And then through the course of that weekend, you, you end up getting a handful of those things from a handful of different places. And I think UCSB was the second one I got. Um, an uncle of mine went to UCSB, was, a, was actually a hammerhead a million years ago as well. Excellent. Um, and he, he, he would always tell me the stories about that kind of stuff. So I had kind of a predisposition to want to go to Santa Barbara in the first place. So when I got that, I was, I was pretty stoked. Did you have any? Did you have any interaction with Coach Ferrer, or did you visit the campus before you made a decision? I'm sure you did. So I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't think I met Al at the time. Um, I certainly remember talking to him after. I remember he came to watch me pitch uh, in high school once. I think he came over to my house afterwards, actually, and had dinner with uh, me and my family. Um, I took the, the recruiting trip up to Santa Barbara. Spent the weekend in Isla Vista. Um, I Bronson, Bronson and I still laugh about this every once in a while. I remember after the weekend, um, you know, they show you around campus, they do all that stuff. And at the time, they, they wanted to show you the ballpark as little as possible because it was before all of this stuff had been built. It was literally a high school field and maybe not even that. There were some bleachers that were thrown up, but there was no locker room. There was no facilities. There really wasn't even a scoreboard other than a really old one that just showed some runs. Um, so they would show you all around the campus. They'd take you to the beach. They'd take you to Isla Vista. They would take you to these restaurants. They would show you the campus, which was nice. And then at the end of the trip, I remember uh, Bronx was showing me around. He goes, well, I want to I take you by my house because I want to show you a video. Um, and I go, <laughs> I go to his home, and I'm sitting on his couch, and he puts this video in, and I fell asleep. I, I literally, because <laughs> keep in mind, I'm 17 years old at this point, right? So I was out in Isla Vista for a couple of nights before this. I'm getting ready to drive home. I'm getting ready to go back. And I had not slept a whole lot the, the last couple of nights. So I'm sitting on his couch. He shows me this video and I'm out like a light, just absolutely gone. And I, I wake up in the middle of this thing and say thank you and this. And I could tell Bronch is kind of like, are you kidding me? Like this freaking guy fell asleep in the middle of this video. Uh, and then a couple, a couple of days later, I get a call from him. You know, how, how do you guys, how did you like it? And I loved it. Are you kidding me? It was great. I, I had a fantastic time. 
And then fast forward, I forget what the signing period was, but I, I made the decision um, to go to Santa Barbara. And I, re I remember two things. I remember having to call the one other school that had made me a, a really nice offer and having to say no. And then I remember calling them and getting a call back from Bronx later saying, I am shocked to hear that you said yes, because you fell asleep on my couch. I thought you were <laughs> bored out of your mind. That sounds like such a bronze thing to say. Yeah. He still gives me a heart. Every time oh, I yeah. see him, he brings it up. Yeah, I remember the time he fell asleep on my couch. I'm like, bronze? I was 17 and had been out till 4 o'clock in the morning the night before. What did you expect from me? That's epic. Wow. It was great. I, I had a good time. I remember where we went. I remember what we did. And it was, look, there's a reason I ended up there. I was predisposed to go anyway, but they <laughs> rolled out that recruiting trip right. It was a, it was a blast. Oh, uh, that's beautiful. Okay, so, so in 1990... As like you said, you guys had good team. You go to a regional. Mm -hmm. Then in 1991, you have kind of a mediocre team, average team. But you go to this this non NCAA tournament <laughs> at at the end of the year in in North Carolina of all places. Uh -huh. And I think it, I got this story from Al, so it, it might be in bits and pieces. But <laughs> yeah, probably. But you got you got UNC there, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, USC, Cal State Fullerton. Uh, and you you start this game against Wake Forest, and yeah, and it, it, and according to Al, according to Al, it was probably the best start of your career. Um, yeah, I, I there, there's one other one that I might put up there against it, but it was certainly the most the most memorable for me because I remember, I think we played the second game of the tournament. I think there was an opening game the night before, and we went out there to watch it, and I think it was SC against North Carolina, if I'm remembering correctly, and. Um, there, they had the trophy. If you won the tournament, um, like behind home plate and you could, you know, you could see it. If you win this tournament, you get to bring this trophy home. And then it had, um, all tournament guys like slots where they were going to put all these tournaments in. And I remember saying to one of my teammates, you know, the only way you would ever get on that tournament team is either to be the, the starting pitcher on the championship game or to throw a no hitter in this tournament. That's the only two ways you get onto that thing as a pitcher. And kind of, yeah, so fast forward to the next day where we're getting, we, we played early in the morning. It's like, I think the first pitch was at 10 o'clock or something like that. And it's North Carolina it, right at the beginning of summer, late spring. It's hot, it's humid, and we're playing Wake Forest. Um, and I get to start. I get to start the first game. And I have, before I've even thrown 10 pitches in the bullpen to start getting loose, I've sweat through my entire uniform. I'm just wringing wet. And I'm thinking, okay, look, you know, just kind of get through this. Just go, go inning to inning. If you get through five innings of this, it's pretty good because there's no way you're getting to the end of the line in this thing. And quite frankly, I didn't get to the end of the line in many of my starts. That's just not the pitcher that I was. That's just I wasn't a guy who was going to go out there and pitch eight or nine innings and we're done and, and move on down the line. But you go through it. First inning's pretty smooth. Second inning's pretty smooth. And about every third inning, I'm going in there and I'm changing my T-shirt to put on a dry T-shirt because it's just coming out of me as quickly as, as you can imagine. Well, now all of a sudden you get into about the sixth inning or so, and I haven't given up any hits. And, 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 and I'm just, okay, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it happened all the time, but I've been pitching for a long time. So every once in a while I get in the fifth or sixth inning and haven't given up any hits. And you kind of start thinking in the back of your mind, like, yeah, no, maybe, maybe, maybe today's the day. Maybe I get lucky. And seventh inning goes by and I don't give up any hits. And so now I'm sitting there in the, in the dugout waiting for the eighth inning to start. I still haven't given up any hits and I'm out of gas, just absolutely out of gas. And I go back out there, and I think I, I, I'm kind of going by memory. I think I get the first guy out, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm still – the next guy takes this big swing and, like, a swinging bunt up the third base line. And oh, so no. it's, it's, an, it's an infield hit. The, the thing's gone, right? It's just the, the thing died halfway between home plate and third base on the grass. 
it's over, right? No hitters gone, infield single. Next guy, bam, gone over the fence. So now, now it went from a no hitter, and I think we had a pretty comfortable lead. We had like it was like six or seven to nothing, but now it's like six to two. And, and I had completely lost. I think the next guy got another hit, and that was it. He couldn't get out there fast enough to get me out of there. But I did take a no-hitter into the eighth inning of that game. And I'm thinking, if I called my shot the night before, I'm Nostradamus in this whole thing. And it, it didn't happen. I did not make the all-tournament team. Uh, we did win the game. We did win the next day. We beat North Carolina the next day, too. And then we were going to play in the championship, I think, against USC. And uh, it got rained out. We didn't even get up play, uh, playing for the championship game. Wow, that's incredible. Well, Al said, "You look like an elephant that had been shot." That's uh, right. that's word for word. Yeah, well, he's right he's there. got away with words, and, and you know, I think the elephant line is he was always on me about uh, conditioning. So perhaps that's a remnant from thirty years ago. But uh, yeah, an elephant that gets shot, I'll take that. That sounds about right. You should have worked on your PFPs. You might have had that no hitter. <laughs> no, there was no Kevin. There was no chance. It was one of those things where the the guy took the. You've seen him a million times. A huge swing, and so your initial reaction is you're kind of on your heels, right? And then the ball went about forty five feet straight up the line. The only chance was you hope it rolls foul, and it didn't. I had no shot at getting over there. None. Those are brutal. Those are brutal. <laughs> okay, so, so what what, what kind of what kind of relationships do you have with your teammates? Al said you're a big teammate guy, big guy in the clubhouse, you know, a, a good personality, good guy to have around. And uh, there's some guys that I've been doing some research on who are on those teams, like Elgin Lowe, Winter mm-hmm. Phoenix, Jared Janke. Like, do you have some relationships with those guys still? Um, I, I haven't talked to those guys specifically in a while. Um, I, I loved Winter. Winter was always great. Um, Elgin was one of those guys, like, I, I – you knew Elgin was going to go do something cool. You knew that he was one of the smarter guys on the team, um, that he's uh, a district attorney up in, up north is not a big surprise to me. Um, I, I don't keep in great touch with those guys, but I do keep in touch with a lot of my teammates. Um, you know, and I, I should say um, Antonio Vernon and Ryan O'Coin were both teammates of mine. Ryan was a little bit younger than me. Antonio was a little bit older than me. So you kind of had a nice mix of the older guys and the younger guys. I still get excited when I go back and get to see those guys uh, occasionally. The other guys, I still see Ryan and Antonio quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, here's the thing. And it, it's super cliche, and it's, and it's also incredibly true. You do not get to form those relationships outside of two things. Number one, an athletic environment. And number two, when you're young. You know what I mean? When, when, you're, when you're older, you make new friends and, and, and you, you, you have new experiences to be sure, but it's not that same bonding that you have with your teammates because you spend so much time with those guys. You spend so much time fighting for the same thing with those guys, trying to win those games on the bus, on the airplane, in hotels, shagging balls in the outfield. You just spend an inordinate amount of time with these guys and they mean the world to you. Both in the, both at the time and, and and afterwards, and you know it's just it's just life where a lot of guys kind of peel off and you can't stay in touch with as many people as you might like. But um, yeah, I mean it, it it's it's we were talking a little bit before we started to record this. It's it's some of my fondest memories in my entire life outside of the stuff with with my family and my kids and my wife and my my mom and dad and things like that. But when you think of positive memories, it, it all involves being out on that stupid baseball field with those guys. And, and it, it's just, those, those are the things that you remember vividly. Well, reflecting with you and with a lot of the other guests that I've had on this pod and, and outside of it as well with current players, former players, friends of mine, you know, you, you can deal with, okay, like we got to, 
you know, during since the shutdown in March, like, okay, we, we can deal with not having to play. We can we can manage that. But the hardest part has been not having what you just said, not having the field time, not having the time in the clubhouse, the hanging out afterwards, the discussing the games, the working on your craft, all that stuff. That stuff has been the hardest to work around. It's and even though I'm not a coach, I'm not, you know, involved with how the players are developing on the field, but not having my time to spend manicuring the field or watching the games, like that is what I have missed the most. And certainly like everyone is itching to get back and, and have those experiences again and continue to build upon that. Cause that you're hit it right on the head. Like that's the greatest experience. Like you, you've had you, your freshman year, you had a good team. Then you had some mediocre teams. Like it doesn't matter at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, for most people, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's the relationship that you build on the field and in the clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, with, with some obvious exceptions, you, you know, you remember a game here, you remember a play there. I, I mean, we talked about the, the Wake Forest game and I remember Jeff Antoon hitting a home run to beat Fresno state to send us to our, our regional or my freshman year. And he took Bobby Jones who ended up pitching, I don't know what it was 15 years in the major leagues or whatever it was. He take Tim deep in the bottom of the ninth inning for us to win our 40th game. I remember the dog pile at home plate. So there's a couple of things you remember about the actual games themselves but you remember all the, I, I remember the bus trips. I remember the hotel rooms. I remember standing in the outfield and it's not all like super positive stuff. Like, Oh, this is, you know, I love this guy. And it's just sometimes you just, you're both pissed off about the same thing. You're both angry at the coach about the same thing, or you can't believe you're not playing. And just those conversations that just being with people that you do care about that are going through something similar at the same time. Those are things that only young people get to experience and young people on athletic teams get to experience them far more intensely than people that are not. Um, I haven't, I haven't found it since I'm looking, I, I hope to find it, but uh, I, I have not seen it outside of a team. Well, on that, on that theme of, of remembering things, we talked about the North Carolina trip. Are there any other trips or like a series or a, or a specific game that you recall that had uh, something that was important or something more memorable than others? Well, I, I a couple of different things. I remember um, we were playing against Fullerton. Uh, it was either my, maybe my junior or senior year, I, because if those are the only 10 times I would have started against them, I think. And we were, we were down playing against them. And uh, you, you may remember this name. Phil Nevin was their shortstop at the time. Oh, yeah. And, Phil Nevin ends up being, you know, number one player taken in the draft um, and was the Golden Spikes winner. And just, I mean, he was a big deal. He was a, a really fantastic amateur baseball player. And going into this game thinking, okay, I get to face this guy. This is going to be great. Because Phil, Phil and I had played against each other in high school. We're both from the same part of Southern California. He grew up uh, not far from where I did in Arcadia and, you know, the, the local all-star games and the travel team. So you were playing against each other a long time. And so anytime you got a chance to pitch against him, you knew that you were going to kind of have an opportunity to do some stuff and kind of measure yourself. And I remember uh, he, he's up to bat and I got in the first couple of guys out. I'm like, okay, I, I got a chance to, to try and get him out as opposed to trying to minimize damage. I can really go at him. And I threw a fastball in strike one. I threw another fastball in that he fouled back for strike two. And I'm thinking, okay, I've thrown two really good pitches exactly where I wanted to locate them. I've got this set up. This is going to work. And I think I'm going to throw a fast or throw a curveball. I'm going to try to start it on the outside. I'm going to try to finish it off of the plate and see if I can get him to go fish for one. And 
ball leaves my hand and the second it leaves my hand, I'm like, I got him. I got him. I mean, because it came off exactly the way I wanted. It was on a line. It was looking like a strike. And I knew worst case scenario, the ball is going to break out of the strike zone. This dude barrels this thing up and hits a ball that I felt like it didn't go 10 feet high off of the right center field fence. And it nearly knocked the damn wall down. And, and I'm thinking to myself, that's the best pitch I can throw. I, I, don't, I don't have a better pitch than that. I can't set it up better than that. And he just laced it off the wall. And that was one of those moments like, you know what? This probably isn't for you. You, you probably need to find something else to do. You need to find something else that you're going to do when this baseball thing is over. Because if that's not good enough, then it's not good enough. And it was a very clear indication that you are not about this beyond this level. And he was. It was I remember that like it happened a week ago. So it wasn't a positive memory. No, I mean, I mean, it, well, I didn't have a ton. Like you see, you heard the stats at the beginning. <laughs> I didn't strike a lot of guys out. I won a handful of games. I lost nearly an equal handful of them. Uh, I remember I pitched pretty well against um, uh, Cal State Fullerton. I pitched, I, I, I mentioned earlier, my son uh, is 14. He's a pitcher too. And, you know, they're super careful about how many pitches they let kids throw now. You know, the pitch count is a really big deal and, and rightfully so. Um, I pitched a game against Cal State Northridge where I pitched all 10 innings of the game. Oh, my goodness. And I think I threw like 150-some-odd pitches. Like, I threw a ton of pitches. And I tell my kids that when like Michael looks at me and my son, like, wait, you threw 150 pitches? And like, yeah, and not only that, it wasn't that out of the question back then. Like, going in the 120s was pretty normal. 150 was a lot, but it wasn't something that was crazy. But to yeah. your earlier point, I did lose. We lost, I think, five to four in 10 innings. But I think that when you said earlier that it was the, the uh, Wake Forest game, the best game I'd ever pitched, no. That game I pitched against Northridge, I think I actually pitched better in that game. We, I think we lost five to four or whatever it was. But I only gave up one or two hard-hit balls. The rest of them were, you know, I might have walked a guy here or there, an error here or there. But uh, that was, in my estimation, the best game I ever pitched. Well, complete games nowadays, complete games are, are rare. It, you, you don't see it very often at the big league level. You, you don't see it very often at the college level. And if you go 10, I mean, that, that's something to hang your hat on in any, in any way you draw it up. I don't care if you win or lose. You go 10 innings. I mean, you're, you're doing it. There's, you know, I don't know if you can see it here, Kevin. It's right over my shoulder here. They, actually, Al gave me this um, this little, I'm trying to, I'm pointing at it right here. Yeah, yeah I can it's, see it. It's, it's three pictures or uh, two pictures of my time when I was at UCSB. And the one at the bottom with me running my hand through my hair, looking like I'd just gotten my teeth kicked in is actually from that game. But it yeah. was because it was at the end of the line. I was just completely out of gas. But uh, yeah, it, it, 10 innings is a lot. 10 innings is a lot. I, I, I just remembered another one too. We were uh, playing against Cal Poly and there's another game that I played. It's a complete game. I won this one, which was which was nice. Um, but I remember, I think it was either number three or number four hitter, and the guy was the guy was a good hitter. And I I, I had one strike on him, and I threw him a changeup, and he missed it by a mile. And 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 I'm and I'm sure you've heard Coach Checkett say this because it's one of the tenets of pitching. Never ever 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 throw a good hitter two changeups in a row. It's just, it's just a really bad idea. And I knew it. I told that. I knew that that's what you do. But he had missed it by so much. I'm thinking, there's no way he thinks I'm going to throw that again. There's no way. I did. 
and he was just sitting on it. He hits the ball right back at me. I mean, like it left my hand and it was back on top of me before I'd even let it go. It hits me right on the side of the head, right above my ear. And I got just enough of the glove on it so it didn't kill me, but it, it hit me, knocked me flat on my back and woozy, like Rocky had clubbed me up the side of the head. And I stand up and I'm kind of jelly legged and I come out of the game um, and, and it ends. But or I should say I finished the game, but I was not quite right. At the end, I was kind of dizzy and not feeling great. And I remember going to the, uh, the health center at the end of the day and, and saying, hey, you know, I got hit on the side of the head. And the guy's like, yeah, I think you probably have a concussion. And I said, oh, I have a, a midterm or a paper or something. Do I remember I had something that I had to get done that night that I had not done because that's how I rolled. And so I go into class the next day. I have this, this note from the doctor at the health center saying, hey, he got hit in the head. And the doctor says, or the, uh, the professor says to me, well, what did you get on your other paper? And I said, I think, I think I got a B. And he goes, well, do you just want another one? We'll just skip this one. I said, that is music to my ear. So I got to uh, put a free B in the book and I didn't have to do the, uh, the paper. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was good. It was wow. good. Thank you, Cal Poly. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was hard every enough day. to make it real and not hard enough to kill me. <laughs> All right. So did you do anything on campus that had to do with radio? Did you work at KCSB or did you do anything that might have preempted this career that you found yourself in? So um, I went into KCSB. So I, I was like, like you mentioned, I pitched my first four years there, but I was a student at school for five years. I, I came back for a fifth year to, uh, to, to graduate. And I remember thinking that I, I kind of wanted to do something like this. I wanted to talk about sports. I didn't want to, have to go do, you know, quote unquote, a real job. I wanted to do something in and around athletics and broadcasting. So I remember going into to KCSB and saying, hey, I, I want to start. And they're looking at me like, dude, you're 22 years old. You don't start this at 22 years old. You start this when you're 18 and you're a freshman. But yeah, okay, we'll find something for you. And it, that something was like coming in at three o'clock in the morning to rack tapes or something like that. And I, I, I'm, I had no interest in that at all. So I said, okay, cool. Sounds great. And never went in and never did it. Um, but I did go and find an internship uh, at KYT at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I worked as an intern in the sports department there. And then I was on a morning show on, I think the radio station's long gone. It was a station called KQSB, which was a commercial radio station in town. Um, and I was their morning sports guy. And so I did that for a few months. Um, you know, the mornings as a college student were not good for me. So I, I didn't make it as long as I probably should have, but I did get a taste of it and realized, you know what? I really, really do like this. This is what I want to do. So may, not on campus exactly, but that fifth year I was working in TV and radio for, for quite a bit of it. That's awesome. Well, in, so my call with coach Ferrer, he says, okay, so, so Travis calls me one time and he says, Hey Al, I'm selling Xerox copiers. And, Cannon, not Xerox, but okay. Canon. <laughs> I'm, I'm selling Canon copiers, one end, not two. That's right. And I don't want to do this, but I've got this, or I've got some kind of interview or, or something lined up with, with Jim Rome. Mm -hmm. Can you help me out? So, yes, that's, that's, that's right. I was working back in L.A. Um, when I was done at KYT when I graduated, you know, I think probably fairly typically, I was like, okay, cool. Put me on Sports Center. I'm ready to go. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's sh shockingly, my phone did not ring. They were not willing to uh, give me the uh, evening Sports Center right out of the shoot. So I went to work. I, I got a job, like you said, selling copiers down in LA. 
and it was okay. I mean, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was, it was fine, but I was a fan of Jim's and I would listen to Jim every day, driving around in my meetings and whatnot. And he goes on the air one day and says, Hey, um, I'm looking for somebody. I'm looking for somebody that uh, would be willing to do really crappy work for really crappy pay that just wants to get started. And I'm like, well, you know, what? I want to give this another shot. I, w- I want to do it. And I'm thinking if I just send in a resume, it's going to get lost in the pile. My only connection to Jim was, is I knew he had gone to Santa Barbara and I'm like, that's just, that's just not going to do it. Um, so I called Al and had that conversation like, Hey, do you know this guy? And he goes, yeah. Do you not remember? I'm like, do, I, do I not remember what? And he said, he was the guy that emceed our baseball banquet when you were a freshman. And I'm thinking to myself, he did? And he started thinking about it. And yeah, so he, Jim had come out and introduced, you know, those banquets at the end of the year and just kind of casual. But Jim was the, the MC of it. And I said, oh, okay, well, that, that's helpful. I can at least drop that in there. And I said to, to Al, would you mind calling him for me? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Why not? And, and he did. And I, I you know, the, I'm not great at a lot of things, Kevin, but the one thing I am pretty good at is, is if I want something, I'm going to find other people that have access to the thing I want and have them call and have them try to stack the deck. Um, so I found a couple of other people that knew Jim and I, and I, I called in whatever favors I could and just said, hey, can, I, just, I just wanted him to at least look at my resume. I just wanted him to at least see it as opposed to just flip through it. He did see it. He did look at it. Um, I ended up going in to uh, get an interview and ended up getting the job for no pay and uh, weird hours and everything else. And, you know, 15 years later, I was still there. I mean, it, it certainly helps to know people. Sure. Right? I mean, that's that's, it's part, everything. Of the, that's part of the game. It's a big part of the game. Well, and, and, it's, and it, it proves that, hey, if you're going to go and you're going you're gonna to do the extra work, if you're going to go around and you're going to do some, some homework, you could do some research, find people that can get on your side who are on their side like that's you know you did the smart thing and yeah it, that probably you know, was a you know was a big reason why you went and got the job it was the reason it, and because jim and i had had that conversation after the fact you know i i am not the most talented guy in the world i am not one of these guys whether it's athletically or anything else that's just gonna pop off the page at you like i have to have that guy that's not my deal what i think i'm pretty good at is is i'm gonna do the work and I'm going to show up every day and I'm going to make sure that the work is done right every day. And you're not going to worry about me. I, I am an incredibly consistent guy, but that's not going to necessarily come across on a piece of paper. I need to get in front of you. I need to be able to convince you that I am that guy. And I got in front of Jim said, you know, the only reason I brought you in was because Al had called and because you were a gaucho. That was the only reason you brought it. And then when I went in, I, I did pretty well in the interview and got the gig. So it was, uh, it was great. I was there a long time. I learned a ton from Jim. You know, Jim, Jim is the kind of the godfather of this whole thing. I know that there's Mike and the Mad Dog in, in the East Coast, and those guys had done it for a million years before they break up and, and that. Jim was the first guy that really did this differently. He was the first guy that kind of came in and said, I'm not an athlete. I don't have the experience of telling, you know, this is what it's like on third and nine in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. And you have to be, not that, not being the guy that has more information or more access or, or this, they, they, as he used to call it, the shell answer man. Jim was the first guy that really did this based exclusively on being the most opinionated, on being the guy that would just let it go. And this is what I think. And this is why this sucks. And this is why this is awesome. And this is why this guy's a moron. And this is why this guy's real smart. And just letting it go. Everybody does that now. He, he, he was the first guy to really do that. And I got really lucky to get with him when I did because when he started to get some 
traction and I got on right as it started to get some traction, the thing just absolutely blew up because no one had ever heard anything like that. And I got a front row seat to it. Yeah. It, producer on the Jim Rome show and then Jim Rome is burning mm -hmm. on ESPN. I, I remember seeing those shows and I'm like, uh, who is this guy, Jim Rome? I mean, uh, he talks funny and, and he's, mm -hmm. he's very opinionated, but like that was the gig. That was, that was what made it tick. And I doing some research on you before, before we came on, I, I found this video on YouTube of some guy doing an impersonation. Oh yeah. It was hilarious. Oh yeah, my it's really gosh. good. It's <laughs> spot on too. He used to call me occasionally as Jim and I could not to get, I would talk to Jim every day. Right. And then, and then I'd get this call and I'm like, wait, what? It, it, it's that good. So yeah, I would, I would steer people to that. The, uh, the smack off on a mobile, I think it's called. Can can you do a Jim Rome impersonation? I can't. I, people always ask me, and I can't. I, you, you would be terribly disappointed if I even tried. <laughs> well, so you, you did a, a small stint in Houston. You're working at KGOW 1560 mm -hmm. in Houston. Then you come back to LA, and you get this. You get the gigs with with uh, 710 ESPN in LA. You're doing you're doing morning show with Keyshawn LZ and Travis. Uh, mm -hmm. How long have you been doing that show? Uh, well, I, so when I came back from Houston, I worked for the Angels for a few years. I worked for the Angels for about uh, three years and then uh, then went to ESPN. I've been at ESPN for five years. Um, I've been on this show for two years. I've been on a bunch of different shows there. You know, as I'm sure you're aware, that the business changes fast. Yes. That, well, know, yeah, it, I guess uh, sport. you've been at Sportsnet, you've been at Yahoo Sports, uh, you know, all over all, the place. All over the place. Um, and that's just the, the nature of it. Um, ESPN's been great. I mean, if, if you do what I do, if you are in sports media, ESPN is the place to do it. And, and, and I am thrilled to be there. Um, I hope to stay there for a really super long time because, like you mentioned, you know, I get to do the Rams games. I did the Lakers games for a few seasons. I did USC football for a couple of seasons as well. Um, it's just, it's, it's really fantastic because there's just so many different things you get to do. You know, we've got probably got LAFC, we've got the Lakers, we've got all these other things that are there and there's always, you know, not just teams, but really good teams. And, and, and it's been, it's been a pleasure. So how, how has the radio industry been during this quarantine or the shutdown with, with no sports, you know, this podcast grew or was founded because of the stop. Mm -hmm. We we wanted to to spread more gaucho content out there to to fans and listeners and parents and alumni and and whatnot. So that's kind of how this got its start. But how is how is managing quarantine been for you as far as you know? There's there's no active sports going on. Um, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: uh, the hardest week to do a sports talk radio show in my 15 years, or I should say 25 years at this point of doing it is that week where leading up to uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. So you've got, you know, you got the baseball games on Sunday night and then nothing on Monday and then the game on Tuesday and then nothing on Wednesday and Thursday. And so you had a four-day gap where there was nothing because it's in the middle of summer. And that's, no and that's every, every summer. There's, there's right. no sports on those four days. Nothing. There, it's, it's when they do the ESPs because there's literally nothing going on. Everybody's available. So those were four days where you're just kind of like, what the heck are we going to talk about today? There's just nothing. Well, we've been doing that for four and a half months. You know, we, we, we have had the Major League Baseball All-Star break for four and a half months, only it's the NBA, it's the NFL, it's the MLS, it's Major League Baseball, it's 
everything. There's been nothing. Now, you've had a couple of things here and there, like the NFL draft and whatnot, and there's, there's always some news that'll pop up, whether, you know, something like Patrick Mahomes signing a crazy contract. And there's always something to kind of get going. There's always, you know, during the pandemic, there's the speculation of when it might start again. Um, but it's been a challenge. I mean, there's just – there's only so many things you can do. So we've kind of opened it up uh, and, and talked about things that aren't necessarily sports-related. Um, one of the things that we talked about for – shoot, we're still talking about it, but really spent the better part of a couple of weeks talking about was all the social protesting, was all, all everything going on um, in, in the country and specifically in the sports world because, you know, the sport, a number of athletes, a number of teams were incredibly outspoken and, 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 and eloquent in talking about the things that need to change and talking about the systemic racism that was going on in a lot of these uh, situations and, and how to do better and how to become uh, better organizations and, and everything else. So that was a part of it. But it's been a real challenge because at the end of the day, we're a sports show. We talk about the Lakers. We talk about the Dodgers. We talk about the Rams. We talk about whatever's going on in the sports world. And when nothing is happening, it's a challenge. And, and thankfully, I'm knocking on wood right now. We've got baseball in a week. We've got um, the NBA in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we're back up and uh, running as usual before too long. Yeah, it's been a long four months. I can tell you that. But I, I, the silver lining for me is is the social injustice. Mm-hmm. Having that come to the forefront and having the conversations about it, seeing it in the media, and there's, you know, there's positives and negatives to everything, but I've I've really seen a lot of positive things, and it really has been uplifting to me in the sports world and and back at home in Oakland. You know, I, I, I'm very blessed having grown up in Oakland, which is very diverse and very open to lots of different uh, backgrounds and cultures. So like I feel blessed with my upbringing, and it's been a, it's been very eye-opening for me and encouraging at the same time uh, with what's been going on recently. And it's without sports, it's given us time to reflect. And I think that's important. Um, yes. But as far as, so uh, I'm curious because this is a gaucho pod and I try and keep it to baseball, but mm-hmm. having you as a guest, this gives me <laughs> reason to talk about other sports. Cause okay. you know, I just, I, I want to bring up a couple of things and uh, the new football stadium in LA, uh, what can you tell me about that? Because I've flown over it flying into LAX, and yep. I know that the Rams and the, and the Chargers are going to play there. But what can you tell me about that new stadium? So I've been through it twice. Okay. Um, I have not been through it in about a year. But I, I went through the first time when they had broken ground and had basically dug the hole where the stadium is going to sit. And I remember going in there and just being like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be extraordinary. And it's just it, – it's really hard because, like you mentioned, I think a lot of people – get a sense from when they fly over when they're heading into the airport you look down and it's a football stadium it's a big one but it's, it's massive stadium. it's massive the the scope of it is really lost on you until you're in it because the the stadium itself kind of sits down into a hole so when you walk into the stadium you're basically walking in about halfway up the stadium half of it then the field included is below you and then half of the seating is up above you that that canopy over is kind of it's a little bit um, misleading because you think, okay, that's the top. Well, it is the top, but the bottom is not where you're standing. The bottom's another, you know, 50, whatever it is, 80 feet down. Um, that was the thing that was, that struck me when you went in it the first time. And then I went in it about 18 months after the initial time and it had been framed, all the concrete had been put in there. Um, they still hadn't put up, finished even putting up the supports for the, uh, the, the canopy. Um, they had not uh, lifted up the, the scoreboard and the Oculus, that 360 degree board that they're going to have over there. But 
Um, I've been incredibly fortunate to go to some really cool places in my career and some big time legendary sporting venues, you know, not just here in California, but across the country. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I've never seen anything like it. And it is so huge and impressive and grand and, and it just whatever other synonyms for amazingly huge and awesome you can think of, that's what it is. I, it, it, I'm purely selfishly this pandemic thing, not only we're not going to get to see football uh, in person in, in the building, hopefully we have football at all, but there's a very good chance that, you know, the broadcasting and the sites for media are going to be very, very limited as well. So I was looking forward because I've been doing the last four seasons at the Coliseum, which, eh, you know, the thing was built in the 1920s. So it's, it's seen, it's, it's seen better days. Uh, they just redid some stuff for SC and whatnot. It's, it's a little bit better than it was, but I was looking forward to going into a brand new state of the art stadium. And it looks like maybe we're gonna have to wait at least a year for that, but I cannot wait because it's amazing. And it's, it's right next to the, the old forum. Yeah. Well, it's, right? it's funny you say that because when you see it, you know, as a kid that grew up here in LA, going to the forum to watch the Lakers or the Kings was always a big deal. You pull into that parking lot and it's like, Oh, there it is, man. The form it's big. It's magic Johnson. It's Kareem Edwards bar. It's Wayne Gretzky. Here, here we go. It looks like a high school gym now just because of where it is. It's, it's right across the street from the biggest, baddest thing you've ever seen in your life. And it looks like a high school gym. Have you been, so with baseball coming back, they've been doing some broadcasts of the of the scrimmages that these teams are doing, and some of them are pumping in crowd noise. I think the Blue Jays were pumping in crowd noise or something, and then but you see some some highlights of the Dodgers with Mookie Betts hitting one into the bleachers. It's just it it's gonna be bizarre to see baseball games with no people, especially at Dodger Stadium which is a huge cathedral, you know, 55,000 people, they can fit in there. It's going to be, what do you, what's your take on watching baseball um, with no crowd? I, I think you're right. And, and I like what you said, especially at Dodger stadium, because the Dodgers draw, you never see empty seats at Dodger stadium, or if you do, they're in the corners of the upper decks. And it's just, you know, Dodger stadium on a, on a Tuesday night against the pirates, they got 38,000 people in that building. I mean, they, they, they draw. So it's going to be really weird to see it empty. I, I'll say this though. Um, I don't know if you're a golf fan or not, or an MLS fan or not, uh, or, yep. or, or uh, fact of the matter is they're playing in empty places and you, you, you lose track of it really quick. I, I think for, for me at least, it's the sound much more than it is the look. It, yes. it's, it's, it's the emptiness of the sound that's really odd as opposed to the emptiness of the bleachers. I think if, and I don't know if you need to do it in person, but if I were in charge of production of these, the, these teams that are gonna put these games together, I would want some ambient sound on my television and radio broadcast, just kind of that murmur of the crowd, just kind of that noise that is kind of in the background that you don't really notice until it's gone. Because when it's a really sterile environment like that, um, it, it's a little odd and it, and it takes a little bit getting used to far more uh, time than, than getting used to the look of it. I mean, and you're a broadcaster too. I think that there's something to be said uh, for the guys that are calling the games you feed on the adrenaline of that. If you're just calling a game in an empty building, you feel like kind of a weirdo. You feel like you're kind of like spying on this whole thing and screaming to yourself as opposed to just being a participant in what's going on and describing the action. Um, 
it, I think that's part of it too. I, I, if I were calling the games, I would want a little bit of something coming into my headset too to kind of ride the wave of emotion that comes along with a big home run or a dunk or a three-point shot or a goal or whatever it might be. So you can have a little bit of that juice that comes along with calling it in real time because if Mookie Betts hits one in the upper deck and nobody makes a sound and he's just going around the bases, I mean, you almost feel like you got to whisper about the whole thing. It's, it's just it's a really weird dynamic. Right. You, you covered a lot of different things that I've that I've thought about a lot with the, the sports that came back first, like golf and, and UFC – and and soccer like i've been been absorbing a lot of that and golf like i play golf a lot i've probably played golf like 15 times the last like 20 days i'll admit Uh, spend some time at bandon dunes in oregon it was great if you haven't been there go uh but golf watching on tv it's just like golf when you go out playing with your buddies like there's nobody around so it kind of looks yeah i i recognize that you hit it in the trees you go hit it whatever and then UFC was kind of cool because you could hear the announcers and the and the, the fighters were listening to what the announcers were saying and they were making adjustments like that was kind of weird. And then and then in European soccer, you know, they're playing at, at you know Bayern Munich's playing in their big stadium, and you can hear the the echo of the ball when the goalkeeper when the goalkeeper mm-hmm. kicks it on a goal kick like, and you can hear the headers and and you can hear all the cheers like, that stuff has been interesting. But baseball, the sound of the crack of the bat. When it's when it's empty, it is it, uh, no better way to describe it than hollow, like you said. Yeah. I mean, it just it it sounds so peculiar. Um, and then and then as far as the announcing side, um, not taking anything away from Caesar Wasaga Stadium, but when I used to broadcast games in the lower level with Jerry, mm-hmm. you know, on like a Tuesday, and it's kind of foggy, overcast, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, Ooh. we're the only guys down there. And and it's you know Jerry being Jerry and you know we're pretty much talking with nobody around. So I, I'm yeah. kind of used to that, but in the big stadiums, definitely not used to that at all. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll get used to it fast. I think we're going to be so excited to have it back. Hundred percent. So excited to have Major League Baseball and you know the NBA. I, I'm very optimistic that the NBA finishes because I think the bubble thing, assuming that people follow the rules, which is a big assumption, but assuming that they do, we'll get to the end of the line. We're going to jump right into the playoffs. Basically you got two weeks of what are going to be essentially exhibition games, but that's going to be incredible to watch. And I, I think the oddity of it all, the, the uniqueness of it all will fade really quickly. And it'll be much more about, Hey, did, dang, how many did LeBron get last night? Is, is Anthony Davis doing what he needs to do? Do they miss a on Rondo? I think it'll, it'll turn very quickly to the sports. I agree. I agree hundred percent. And on top of that, it will be a unique viewing experience. Uh, oh yeah. They, I like they, what MLS does where they put those, those, um, uh, like superimposed just on TV, like those those walls that almost kind of mm-hmm. close. So you don't see that empty field behind everybody, which is weird because in European soccer, you can see the empty seats. And where they're playing in Orlando for MLS, there's just other soccer fields behind it. So right. they superimpose almost like hockey where they put the, the, the ads on the glass. They're doing kind of the same thing. It kind of feels a little more enclosed. I like that. Yeah, and with the MLS game, it's like you're going to watch uh, your kids play at a <laughs> at a tournament on the weekend. There's just a, a zillion fields. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't need a big stadium to to have good quality product on the field. No, I mean, Gouchers have been doing that for years. You don't <laughs> yeah, need a big indeed. grandiose. I'll, I'll tell you though, I gotta say. When uh, I went up last uh, spring to watch them win that game against Cal Poly when they clinched the championship. and Great day. I I don't know if I would have believed you if you would have told me 
that that was going to be like that at some point at UCSB. And, and, and I'm a proud gaucho and loved my time there. But if you would have told me that they were turning people away at the door, which they were, Yes, For a UCSB baseball game, I would have said, I don't know what you're on, man, but you need to stop doing it because you're seeing stuff. It was and, – and I don't know how many people that was. What was it, maybe maybe 1,000, give or take? Let's go 1,300. Okay, 1,300. So 1,300 people felt like 13,000 people because everybody was stoked. Everybody was excited. Every pitch was meaningful. It just – it was so exciting and, and, and rewarding to see that in person. I'm so glad I went. I remember I took a video of the final out. I still have it on my phone and I sent it to Spielborgs and Schumacher and Michael Young and said, you guys suck. You're not here. This is what you're missing right now. And just the, the responses I got back from those guys were just great because, you know, those guys are all major leaguers. In Schumacher's case, he won the World Series. Michael Young, you know, is a batting champ. My, these guys are, are made men in major league baseball and they were all fired up to see that. It really made me feel good. And they all they all express those those sentiments uh, when they were on this podcast is that they wish they could be more involved and we hope that they will be uh, very soon and you know having them on the podcast is I mean was an honor enough at least and it was an honor for them to be talking about their gaucho days and reminiscing and it, that weekend was such a whirlwind for me it was just it was having been here for nine years that last year was my eighth but seeing it from where it was when coach Chegetz took uh the job and and learning about bronze and learning about al and where it was in the 80s and where it got to in the 90s and then where it was handed off to checks in mm -hmm. 2011 and now seeing it now with lights and in the clubhouse and the, and the cages and the beautiful field and you know working on renovations to the entryway and, and all that stuff like it's been you know it that place deserves to have 13,000, 1,300 people watching every game. Well, it's funny because I, I joke with my buddies all the time about, you know, I like winners. That Whenever I get frustrated with one of the teams that I, that I root for and I get, you know, oh, these guys stink and whatnot. And then, the, you know, where's your loyalty? I'm like, I just like winners. I kidding around. But the fact of the matter is people like winners and they're winning. And if they keep winning, people will come. You know, it really is not super complicated that now you have a facility where, okay, I can go at night, which is a huge deal. You know, seeing the alumni game uh, at night earlier this year feels like a million years ago, but it was only a few months ago um, was extraordinary because now there's a place to go at night. The, 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 the ballpark itself is fine. You, the team, the product on the field is first cut. It's not, Hey, you know, maybe we got a chance. It's no, 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 no. We got, it, it's funny. I'm getting a little off on a tangent here, but the fact of the matter is, is I remember going to watch them play at Fullerton. It's either last year or the year before. I, I forget what it was, but watching the games and sitting there and, and for the first time in my life as a gaucho watching them play against Cal State Fullerton and saying, you know what? It's not even close. Santa Barbara has better players. It's not close. It's not, hey, we can beat these guys because it's baseball. You can beat anybody, right? It was position by position. If you took the nine guys on the field, Santa Barbara had a better player at seven spots. And, and, and it never, ever felt that way before watching those games. And that's when it kind of hit me that, oh, man, I, I knew that they were good. I mean, they've been to the World Series, so they're good. I knew that Chekets is winning a bunch of games and that his, his secret sauce works okay they're 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 a different program than it was when he showed up than before he got there but that this is the key if the product is right i mean when i was at santa barbara in the early 90s 
the basketball team was really good. We my freshman year. Oh yeah. That UCSB was the last team to beat UNLV before they went and won the national championship, and they went and beat Duke by forty points and just ran the table. The Gauchos were the last team to beat them. The Thunderdome on a Monday night with Big Monday on ESPN was the place to be because Ugh. they were good. They were absolutely good. And now the baseball team is good. And that thirteen hundred that we're talking about. I don't think it's going to be a long time before you see that again. Because if you're competing for the conference, if you're competing and you know that I'm going to go out there and, you know, I, I don't know exactly which guy it is, but one or two of these guys can end up in the major leagues. You're going to want to go see that. And that's what they're doing right now. They're putting guys in the major leagues. You know, you know, nobody knew who Shane Bieber was when he was at Santa Barbara. They do now. They do now. And, and once people start to put that together, it's like, I'm going to go do that. They're the best team in the conference. They're putting out big leaguers. It's a good place to play. They are absolutely on the right track. So did you have that feeling when you were sitting in the stands at TD Ameritrade in Omaha? Oh, well, I, I mean, I knew who Bieber was at that point, but I did not know how good he was because I knew that he had pitched and he beat Louisville in the Supers. And so you're thinking, okay, he can go into that place and shut them down like that. He's, he's, he's something. I knew he was really good. I knew he was winning a bunch of games. But sitting there and <laughs> just the whole visual of it, I mean, they played the first game of the World Series. So the line, I still, it's my screensaver on my, my laptop, as a matter of fact. Excellent. All the guys lined up on, on both foul lines, the fly over the whole thing. I'm thinking, that's the UC Santa Barbara Gaucho standing down there. What in the world in, is going on right now? Playing Oklahoma State, who, just random tidbit, Oklahoma State was the first team we played in the regionals the year I went at ASU. Yep. We played Oklahoma State. When we 1990, right? Yep. 1990 at ASU. And that's when only 48 teams went to the tournament. It was, it was a little more – it was very different formatics, but it was hard to get in, still hard to get in. But we went and we did this. And then all of a sudden, I'm standing there watching this. Game start. Oklahoma State's got tradition. I've been to the World Series a whole bunch of times. And Beaver goes out there and just locks their ass up. Just, I mean, just going through guys. And you start thinking, okay, we're going to get a hit. Somebody's going to run into one. We're going to hit a home run. We're going to string a couple of doubles together. We're going to win this game. It didn't happen. They ended up losing one to nothing in that game. But at that moment, that's when I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know exactly who that guy is other than I know his name, but that dude's going to be a real problem for somebody because everything he throws sinks and he doesn't walk guys. That's a, that's a pretty good combination. Boy, Bieber, he, he was a guest on the first pod and, and played golf with him, unfortunately, during the pandemic. But it was cool to spend some time with him you know, since he has had success in the big leagues and he's been such a complimentary gaucho and a complimentary big leaguer and a complimentary friend i mean it's he's he is doing great things on the field and off the field i mean he he's a stout pro and we i think we could see that when when he was pitching with the gauchos and he was pitching behind hakame and he was pitching behind tate mm -hmm. and and then he became the face of the of the of the staff and then that started in omaha and I asked him because there was a moment where, you know, it was, it was a hot day. We, we had the day game and I don't know, maybe it was like the fourth or the fifth inning or something. And he, he stepped off the mound and, and me and Jerry are calling the game and, and we thought he might've been slowing down or maybe, you know, getting tired, which I don't know why we're thinking that, but he steps off the back of the mound. He takes his hats off, has hat off and runs his, his hand through his hair, like the photo in the background of, of your Zoom. <laughs> right. And and kind of just stands there and takes a deep breath and steps back up at the mound. And then, of course, he finishes the game. And I asked him after, I was like, what, what were you doing when you stepped off the mound in the middle of the game? Like, were you were you tired? Were you overwhelmed? He goes, no. I just had a moment where I realized that I was pitching in the College World Series. 
and I was standing out on the mound, and it was on TV, and knowing where the Gauchos have been and where they are now, I wanted to have a moment to myself. And so I stepped off the mound, put my hand through my hair, looked around, took it in, and then got back up and finished the game. And I thought that was the most incredible thing ever. It's that's a great story. I mean, it, it's it, not exactly the same, but I remember when Sam Cohen hit that home run in Louisville. I, I called. I mentioned his name earlier. I, call, I called my my two buddies, Antonio uh, Vernon and, and Ryan O'Coin, who were teammates of mine in Santa Barbara. And I said, "We're going, we're going," and and it wasn't like, "Hey, should we?" It's a, we're going. Ryan had had a, a previous engagement. He was on vacation with his family at, during the time, so he couldn't get away. But Antonio and I, we end up going. And like you were saying, that it, in the middle of this game, I remember turning to him and saying, can you believe this? Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, how did this happen? How, how did UC Santa Barbara get here? Because, it, you know, until you get there, you feel like it's, it, it's an impossibility. And all of a sudden, you know, they go to the regionals. They go to the – then you get to the Supers. You're like, okay, that's the next step. This is the, – they finally won a regional. Now they're going to the Supers, and they end up winning, and they just kind of skip that step, and they go straight to, uh, to Omaha. But much like you were saying with, with Shane Bieber, just taking that moment, there was, a, there was several times where we were kind of looking at each other, ran into some good teammates of mine that I hadn't seen in 20 years, and we're looking like, can you believe this? And I can't imagine what it must have been like – for him and, and not exclusively him because obviously that was a very very good team but for him who was incredibly um influential and essential to their success what that must have felt like and i hope he knows that he was not the only one that was feeling that that all of us that have ever put on that uniform were feeling the very very same thing we just didn't have the pleasure of being out on the mound like he did yeah it was a group effort not only with the team but with all the fans and the alumni and the parents and I've heard stories of people connecting in Omaha that hadn't seen each other for 20 yeah. years Yeah, where like they had their group and, and they met up with, they saw another group of guys that, that were there and they hadn't seen each other. And, and it was like, here we are in Omaha. We're, we're all one big family. And that's speaks to the community of this program and how proud I am to be a part of it and how uh, it's been impactful on my life and, and your life and all the guests on this podcast. But well, yeah, I mean, it, it it's UCSB, man. It's not Ohio State. It's not USC where, you know, going to the Rose Bowl is, yeah, cause this is what we do, man. We, we, we're, we're USC. That Half that team's going to be in the NFL. It's Ohio State. The entire team is going to be in the NFL. This isn't Duke basketball. We're going to Final Four. is a birthright. It is a mid-major school that unless you grow up in California, you probably have never heard of it. And all of a sudden, it's on the biggest stage for that particular sport and, and to be able to know the route to get to somewhere like that. If you play at LSU, you're going to go to the college world series and, and everybody knows it. You just, you go to LSU, you're going to go there and that's what you do. And, and that's the expectation. If you go to a mid-major and you go to a mid-major that does not have a tradition, like say maybe a Cal state Fullerton or something like that, that you understand how much work had to be done. You understand how much sacrifice had to be done. You understand how you got to get a little bit lucky along the way at some point to make something like that happen. And that was a culmination of all of it. it it's just, this was not the, the thing that we were all expecting. When that home run landed behind the right field wall in Louisville, I don't know if there was anybody that really, maybe other than the guys in that dugout, that really believed, you know, hey, we're going to go to the World Series. Even when they won the opening game, you're thinking, okay, you know, hey, anything could happen. 
you're down three to nothing and you're thinking, okay, it's Louisville. They got a bunch of big leaguers on their team. They're going to bunch of first round draft picks and they're it's in their own ballpark. They never lose there. And only, and then bam. And then it's like, it happened. All of that stuff that we're talking about just came together in that moment. And for a smaller school and especially, you know, UCSB academically, has an incredibly rich tradition and everybody knows, but athletically it's a little different and it just, it just meant the world. Okay. Last, last couple questions. We as we wrap it up. So you've been in, in sports talk radio for, you said 25 years. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the current state of sports radio is? And so calling games on the radio, having broadcasters doing audio only, and then sports talk radio, do you think it's in a healthy place? Is where's the market, or is it? Do you think where do podcasts stand in in all of this realm? I, I'm glad you said that at the end because I think that's at the front of the line. Uh, as far as like games themselves, play by play and rights, I think that that's as healthy as it will be, and I think that it's always going to have a place. Um, in, in as long as we're driving cars, we're going to listen to games in the car. We're going to listen to games on the radio. You got to have it. And you know, I I was ridiculously spoiled to grow up here in Los Angeles with Vince Scully and Chick Hearn and Bob Miller and, and, and guys like that. And you just, it's like, you just think that everybody's got these guys. Um, but listening to a game in the car is a big deal. Um, and, and I don't think that's going anywhere. Talk radio is I think a little bit different. Now they've been talking about the demise of talk radio for 30 years now. It's still here. And when it's done right, it still rates and it still makes money. Um, but you're right. I, I think that where a lot of it has moved, and I think you're starting to see it more and more on terrestrial radio, is to the podcast space because it's on demand, right? And, and it's curated for exactly what you like. I mean, your, your show is a perfect example of that, that a, a, a podcast that is dedicated to gaucho baseball is, is appealing to a very specific audience, but you're also uh, appealing to a very rabid audience. If, if they, people are coming for it, they want it. They're, they're going to be invested in it. Um, you know, the, the more shotgun approach of terrestrial radio is you got to have personalities, which will always work, you know, in one format or another. But, uh, you know, you're trying to service everybody at once. But if I love, you know, one specific thing, you know, if I like chocolate ice cream, there's a podcast for chocolate ice cream lovers out there somewhere, I'm sure, that it's, it's really rifle focused. And that's, that's the competitor is that, that I like this, but I don't like that. And you're giving me a little of that stuff I don't like. I'm going to go over here and get exactly what I want in a podcast form. I, I listen to them all the time. I listen to the radio still a lot because, one, I like to make sure that my industry is uh, <laughs> what they're doing and I'm a part of it. But I'm a, I'm a huge podcast consumer. Yeah, same here. I I listen to like, like a good high school buddy of mine. He plays for the A's, so I've got you know being in Southern California, I, I can't just turn on the radio on the car and listen mm-hmm. to the A's. So I got the MLB app, and I'm I'm listening to the games when I'm making dinner, when I'm taking a shower, when I'm doing yard work, when I'm at the field, like wherever. I'm always tuned in, and then I'm consuming podcasts just the same. So I. I even I even recount I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll listen to my own podcast because I want to learn. I want to take notes on, uh, on myself and be self-critical. Of course. Yeah, no, if you're not, you're not doing it right. You need to you, everybody thinks it's a vanity exercise that you're listening. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm actually listening to, to to listen to the parts that I got wrong right. so I can get it wrong less frequently moving forward. It's good. Exactly. Okay, so the last last question, any advice that you can give to those who are interested in getting into sports radio or the media industry you're going to think i'm pandering here a little bit but i'm not do what you're doing start find something you like find something you care about find something that you're passionate about and do it 
And, and right now it is easier than ever to do it. Like you said at the beginning, you're at your home, you got a microphone. I'm at my home. I've got a microphone. We've both got laptops. You, you can create an incredibly polished product on your phone, on your laptop. You do not need a bunch of, you don't need a studio. You don't need anything that's super fancy that I, I get that question a lot and I'm always happy to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is it's really easy to say you want to do it. It's really hard to sit down and do it. So if anybody that wants to do it, sit down and do it, go cover your high school team, go cover whatever it is you want to talk about and start doing it and start doing what you were saying a minute ago, go back and listen to it. Cause you're going to listen to it. You're going to hate it. Right. You the, the first time you hear yourself you're like this, oh, yeah. is what I sound like this oh, sucks. Yeah. I have nothing to say. I'm stammering. I'm, I'm hemming and hawing. I'm not funny. I'm not insightful. I'm just repeating myself over. You're going to, you're going to hate what you hear. And the only way to do it again and to do it better is to keep, doing it. So that's the number one thing I'll say is, you know, don't, you don't need to worry about a resume or a tape or anything. Do it. And then once you get good at it, or at least better than beginning, then you can worry about tapes. Then you can worry about polishing. Then you can worry about finding this person who can send it to that person. But right now, when I, when I started a million years ago, there wasn't any of this stuff. You had to get into a radio station. You had to get an internship. You needed someone to call on your behalf and put you in there. And now you don't. You can do it yourself and you can get good at it before anybody else has a chance to hear it or and and you can show up a polished product and it's a huge advantage well he's been in the industry for 25 years he's got his radio show on 710 espn travis rogers one last question because i lied i actually had three more questions <laughs> i've done it yeah, trust me i'm familiar with the I, I know that trick keep going i'm having a blast yeah i mean we, we can go on forever we don't have to end it now but <laughs> no i just i just want your your, your biggest takeaway of something that you learned or something that you grew into when you were a player that you took on into your professional life. So something that happened or that you learned at UCSB that you took and that you still carry with you. Find a way to get through it. Find a way to get through it. Cause not every day is easy. It, 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 it's really easy to pitch on the day where you can locate whatever you want and your arm feels good. That's easy. Everybody can do that. It's really hard on the day that the ball's not breaking you can't locate for you know what, and you're getting rocked and you got to find a way to get out of it. That's true of doing a radio show or anything else because the easy days, I mean, we all look, we all have good days and bad days, right? The easy days go by fast. You're like, okay, every day should be like, that. that's not how it works. Find a way to get through it. And you learn that through athletics because there are going to be bad days doing this or whatever else it is that anybody else is doing. Find a way to get through that day and make it okay. Make it good enough. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, Today was the day he really earned his money because he didn't have his good stuff and he still put out there and put up seven innings. That's what they're paying you for. It's not to be Clayton Kershaw and just go down and mow guys down. Not everybody can do that. It's to be out there and know that you don't have good stuff, whether it's in the most literal sense as a pitcher or in more a metaphorical sense of just going through your daily life. It's the days you don't have good stuff, you got to find a way to get through it. And that's baseball in a nutshell. Travis Rogers, thank you so much. This was uh, this was a lot of fun, and I think people are going to get a lot out of this. And I hope pro sports come back. Well, I can't wait till pro sports. We got them. We're recording this uh, July fifteenth. Mm-hmm. We got baseball coming back next week. We got the NBA. Uh, we didn't talk about the NHL. I'm a big hockey fan, but they're playing up in Canada. I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, hopefully we got some NFL to talk about on uh, Rams pregame show come this fall. Can't wait. Can't wait. Thank you for having me. I've been, I've been looking forward to this. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm glad to finally get on and please ask me again because I can't talk enough about gaucho baseball. And next time we'll talk about actual gaucho baseball. Okay. Yeah. Consider it done better late than never. Travis. Thank you. You got it.
All right, thank you to Kyle's Kitchen. Check out their $37 meal deal and the family four-pack of burgers over at Kyle's Kitchen. And thank you to our guest today, Travis Rogers. We could have gone for, for two hours. I think I was not overstating that when I mentioned it because uh, this a lot of fun to talk to a, a sports guy and talk about the current state of sports and the current state of Gaucho baseball. Gaucho baseball is in a great place, and Andrew Checkets has done a phenomenal job getting the program to where it is, and we feel like it is going nowhere but up. And Travis recognizes that, and he wants to promote the program, and he's absolutely right about the winning. Winning uh, brings people to the yard, and we've done a ton of work to the ballpark, and we continue to do a lot of work to the ballpark, and we want people to come and watch the Gauchos and support the Santa Barbara community. So that's the podcast for this week. And next week, we're going to have two guests. We'll do the same thing that I did over the 4th of July weekend. Uh, I sat down with Sam Cohen and Ryan Cumberland to talk about their big hits back in 2016. So that'll be next week's pod. And then after that, we'll have a two-part podcast with Bill Guyvette, Guyvo, the legendary Guyvo uh, sat down with him and talk about what he's doing currently and then his route into professional baseball, working as an executive uh, and doing scouting. And just he's got a great baseball perspective as a baseball lifer, and he's also a profound gaucho and a very proud gaucho at that. So we'll do a two-part series with Bill Guyvette after next week's pod with Sam Cohen and Ryan Cumberland. So that's what's on tap over the next couple weeks here on the Gaucho 9 podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and just keep at it. We're almost there. We got baseball next week. Basketball's coming back. NHL's coming back. Let's uh, let's just try and be prudent with uh, how we go about things. So that'll do it. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>